Good morning. Today we continue in our series, Stay Out. And if you were here last week, Pastor Gary, our lead pastor, if you like showed up in the middle of the summer, last week's preacher, he, that, that's the guy, that's the lead guy here. Because um, during the summer, we got a lot of different preachers. I'm one of the other pastors here. My name is Zach. And he talked about food. And if you missed it, I would highly encourage you. I thought he handled a topic which is fairly sensitive in an extremely firm yet pastoral way. And today, I get to talk about entertainment. And the reason the series is called Stay Out is because we all got areas in our life in which we just are pretty terrible at inviting God into the decision-making process. And I'd say entertainment's probably for many of us one of them. Now, when we use the word entertainment or entertain, I, because of the grammar of, of just those word choices, it often makes us out into like passive recipients. And I don't think that's what we are. And so I was trying to think this week, like what's a word that describes our role in the consumption of entertainment? And I think one of the words that gets pretty darn close to doing what, what I think we need is, is the word delight. When you are being entertained by something, you are actively delighting in that thing. And so that's a word you're gonna hear me use today as, as we talk about this, as we talk about entertainment, as we talk about what our active role is in entertainment. And at some point, most of us have probably asked a question or heard someone else ask this question or had a kid ask this question. And it sounded something like, what am I allowed to watch? I don't like this question. And the reason I don't like this question is because it makes it seem, and questions betray heart motives, right? It, it, it kind of assumes there's all these things out there that I really want. And so God, what of these things would you like me to begrudgingly limit myself to? That's what the question is, that's what's going on in our hearts. And that's kind of like if I had, you know, I have a 17 month old baby girl, she's got three big brothers, but you know, let's say one day she's a teen and a boy bites her, bites her out on a date and he comes to pick her up and pulls me off to the side and he says, you know, what base are you comfortable with me getting to tonight? <laughs> First, the date would probably end right there. But the question betrays the motivation. And so a better question would instead be, God, yes, there's all this stuff out there. What would you have me delight in? It's a, po it's a way of positively phrasing the question. Now, what can I get away with? What would you have me delight in? And that's what the question we're going to ask today of a bunch of different things. You know, what kind of books would you have me delight in? We're going to talk about video games. That's for some of the older folk in the crowd. Okay. What kind of TV shows or movies can a Christian, should a Christian, do, I mean, are we all just limited to just Bible man and VeggieTales? Like, is that it? No, the answer is no. Okay. 
One thing I'm not going to say today is you can't watch secular things. And if you've been around here for a long enough period of time, the main preachers on this stage regularly make pop culture references, including Gary's food sermon last week. But still, the question remains, and that's what we're going to tackle. Before I continue, I'm going to pray. Lord, I would ask for guidance and clarity. And Lord, would you help us to be challenged and convicted well in a way that is for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Be very upfront about my method and my mission. My method this morning, on some things, I will be very vague. And you won't like it, some of you. And the, the legalists in the room won't like the vagueness. Okay, part of that has to do with time. Part of that has to do with, I want to avoid legalism where possible. On other occasions, I'm going to be really specific and it's going to make other people in the room, okay, very uncomfortable. You have the legalism side, you got the licentious side. Everyone's going to be upset at something if I do my job well this morning. That's what I'm aiming for, okay? Now... That's the method. The mission is to make you only as uncomfortable as God has made me. No more, no less. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning and this book is just a book to you, that's it, I would ask you to at least acknowledge or consider this morning that your relationship with entertainment has had a profound effect on your priorities, your relationships, and your identity in ways you probably haven't even realized. And so to take a few moments to take stock of how you relate to entertainment in a world so saturated by it is probably a net benefit to you, even if you disagree with some of my conclusions today. So having said that, we're going to walk through three points, two scriptures for each. We're going to talk about the abuse of entertainment and the enemy, what the enemy would like to do with our delights. Then we're going to talk about the content of it. What kinds of things should we be delighting in? And then finally, the value of entertainment, looking at how beneficial as well as is it making us neglect more important things. That's our roadmap for this morning. First scripture. We're going to talk about the enemy. We're going to talk about the abuse of entertainment because the enemy is real and he wants to use anything possible, including your delights, to distance you from God. John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. This is being addressed to someone else, but I want to take away what he's saying about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Our enemy is a deceiver, and one of his main tactics is deception. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Revelation 17, verses 1 through 4. This is the second passage. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgments of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers have become drunk. There's this focus on, on consuming a, a, a wine here. 
We're going to connect dots in a moment. As he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads, ten horns. Blasphemy's bad, by the way. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned in gold and jewels and pearls. She's looking good. Holding in her hand a golden cup, again, looking good, full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. This is a picture in the book of Revelation of the world being attracted to something that is toxic but tasty. That's the picture of the prostitute given to us here. And this is the second tactic of the enemy. He will deceive and he will seduce. He did it in the garden. He took the most dangerous piece of fruit in the existence of the world and he convinced someone that it was safe. And then he made it attractive. And that was the people who weren't yet stained by sin. So let us not be overconfident. Again, the devil wants to make toxic things Tasty, And his mission is to get you and me to delight in things that oppose or mock God or to get us to spend so much of our time on, let's call, morally neutral entertainment that it forces us to neglect important or better things. That's the tactic. That's the strategy. That, that's what the enemy is after. And we'll, we got to be aware of this. Because if someone is actively working through what the world produces to deceive and seduce you, if you're not cognizant of it, then the toxic things are just going to be tasty to you. So we got to be aware. That's our first point. We know there's a real enemy, and we know his goal is to give us toxic things and to make them tasty. The content of entertainment is my second point. Now we're getting into the nuts and bolts here a little bit. Two passages. First, Philippians 4.8. What is it that we should be delighting in? I have two passages that talk about our minds. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are umbrella categories, by the way. Not everything good is listed here, but... Compassion is a lovely thing. Generosity is a commendable thing. You could go on and on and on. List of positive things. This is kind of a big umbrella list for us. But Romans 12, one more verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, why do I go here instead of verses in the Psalms about delighting? about how God's law and statues are sweet as honey. Why here? You see, you can think without being entertained, without delighting. You can't delight in something without thinking. And I assume you hear that. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I get home, I veg. I sit down, turn the tube on. Yeah, I just use the word tube for the TV, okay? <laughs> Speaking, I gotta speak to the boomers too. And, and, and you veg, it's a myth. And if you go on the Google and you type in, what does my brain do while watching TV? 
studies will pop up, and I read a couple of them this week. Interestingly enough, the part of your brain in which you have things like logic happening shuts down, no electrical activity. But other parts of your brain go into overdrive. And whatever your brain is doing while you're watching TV vegging, you can't call it rest. And here's the truth. You cannot delight in an image, a song, a movie, a scroll without welcoming that thing to take up residence in your brain. You can't. Which is why this umbrella passage about the kinds of things that we want occupying our brain. And so as we think about this, one of the important questions that that pops up as we discern, you know, okay, well, where is our focus on delighting as we think about the kinds of things that entertain us? One of the questions becomes, where does your delight actually terminate as you delight in these kinds of things? I'm going to say it again. It'll make sense in a minute. It might sound a little confusing. Where is your affection? Where are your delights actually terminating? I'll give you an example, a positive example, in order to explain this. In the movie Superman Returns, which I really enjoyed but got really, really terrible reviews, and they didn't end up making any more with Brandon Roth. Um, But in this movie... Superman, after an act of self-giving love and sacrifice in which he gives all that he has, he, f- he proceeds to fall. He, he, he's, 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 he's given all that he has and he just, this fall. And it's this scene, a lot of people on the internet was absolutely crawling with commentary about how representative this was of Christian themes. One, because of the act of self-giving love and sacrifice to the position of him as if he is on a cross. And if you're new to all this stuff, by the way, that's the message of the gospel. God in the flesh, person of Jesus, lived the life you couldn't, died the death you deserve so that you can have eternity with him for those who entrust themselves to him. But the point of this, and the reason I, 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 I point this out is because in those conversations about this secular movie, those conversations and even just the the enjoyment of the movie, it terminated on something beyond merely the violence that was happening in the movie or the fight scenes. And you could call it noble or honorable. Let me pivot to something a little bit more specific that might make people uncomfortable. Let's talk about violence. Let's talk about violence in movies. I get asked this question probably more so than anything else when I'm talking about entertainment. And when you get to the conversation about violence or language, this is where you most often hear people say, that's not my sin issue, I'm fine. That's not the question. No one's asking you, is that your sin issue? The question is, is that the kind of thing God wants you to delight in? Do you see how they're different questions? And so, but when it comes to violence, is there some times in which violence pushes people towards the scripture we just read in Philippians 4? I'd argue, yes. The killing of Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia is an act of violence. And for, depending on your age, it, can, it is an intense, violent scene. There are wartime biopics capturing the sacrifice 
in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War II, Hacksaw Ridge, re, uh, the story of Desmond Dawes was, was, was a recent one. And the violence in these films is the point of it is not to get your delight to terminate on the violence, but instead to terminate on something better, on gratitude, humility, value of sacrifice and self-giving love, generosity, compassion. That is very different from movies and TV shows and entertainment in which violence or language would be gratuitous. That's a word Pastor Gary gave me and I really, really like this because when language or when violence is gratuitous, the point of the movie is not that the violence that happens to happen points you to something better. The goal of the movie is that you delight in the violence itself. They literally make the movie or make the show so that you find yourself enjoying the barbaric gruesomeness and that that is where your affections are terminating as you're consuming it. That's the point of the film. So much so that lines begin to blur at times. So you find yourself rooting for evil. That you're rooting for a character carrying out terrible things, exacting vengeance on people. And if you are finding yourself delighting intentionally with your affections terminating on violence itself, think about what Jesus says about violence. Think about what God's word says about vengeance. If, if, if a movie is getting you to, so that your delight terminates on the acts of evil within the movie, it's probably sin. Now, I realize that's a little heavy. We're gonna lighten the mood. I'm gonna talk about sex now. <laughs> this will be quick, fairly quick. Unless, here's the deal. You can go on Netflix and have access to the kinds of things that your great-grandparent had to awkwardly go to the back of the magazine rack for when they were young. Unless you are a doctor, a mortician, a parent or babysitter changing a small child, there's no reason for you to look at the naked body of the opposite sex. There's just no reason. It contradicts God's design for you. Men in particular, there are women who struggle with this, but men in particular, unless you are a doctor, a mortician, or a parent changing a small diaper, small child, whatever. There's no reason, there's no reason to watch anything that has a naked woman in it. There's just no reason. Your grandparents had four channels and they were content with it. You can find something else with a thousand shows that are out there, okay? This is as black and white as I'll be. Ladies, Men deal with this too, but this is mostly for women. There is no reason for you to read a book that welcomes you into the sexual intimacy of a couple. No reason. There's no reason to finish the book. There's thousands of books. Find another one. Porn is not justifiable just because you read it with words instead of images. 
Again, this is black and white, as I'll be. The devil's goal is to make toxic things tasty. Oh, and he's good at it. In the last three years, I'll close this point with, with one thing about music. In the last three years, two of the most popular songs, number one on the Billboard charts, two of the most popular songs listened to. First one was all about the female orgasm. The second was all about glorifying a dad who neglects his kids in order to cheat on his wife. Two of the most listened to songs in our nation. Why? Because of how catchy the tune is. Some of you have listened to it not realizing the words. Really easy to listen to, really toxic, but just so tasty. And as I was prepping this, I did wonder a little bit, would these songs have been number one if Christians didn't listen to them? I don't know. We talk about the abuse. The enemy is real. He wants to get you to delight in destructive things. Talk about content. There are plenty of good things out there to delight in, in which you find your delights terminating on godly good things. God designed you to delight, and yet we find ourselves kind of navigating through uh, 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 minefields. But finally, our final point, the value of entertainment. Again, two scriptures, like usual. Psalm 101, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Now, in some of your translations, that word worthless is wicked or vile because this word has a semantic range that includes on the one side a moral uh, uh, nuance and on the other side, not a moral nuance, but just the fact that it's, it's not profitable. It's just not beneficial. And I've read one scholar who says he believes the author's trying to go with both here based on the context. This idea of worthless. I'm not going to spend my eyes on worthless things. Ephesians 5, one more, one more passage. We'll keep going. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. See that best use of the time. Days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do your forms of entertainment offer a net benefit? Do they offer something valuable? When you're done watching, when you're done reading, when you're done scrolling, do you think to yourself, wow, I'm so glad I invested time doing that? Or do you think to yourself, oh, that was a terrible decision? For a lot of people, the content you go through on social media might be morally neutral, but the amount of time you spend on it is anything but. Are we? Are, let's get real. There's this phenomenon in recent years that's come to be known as revenge bedtime procrastination. You can Google this. It's a thing. It's a thing. I've heard... And basically what revenge bedtime procrastination is, is you've had such a long day and it's, you know, it's like nine, 10 o'clock, maybe 11 for some of you. And it's that time you should be getting into bed, but you deserve you time. And so you spend however many hours on the phone or doing whatever it is that you do in order to take revenge on your bad day, on your long, hard day. And the next day you regret it and you feel really tired and you inflict it on people around you. 
This is the word for it. I've heard this guy, Matthew Walker, uh, he's a sleep doctor. I've heard him talk about this among other things. He uh, founded the Center for Human Sleep Science at Berkeley University. And if you watch major podcasts, major YouTube channels, he's made the rounds the last five years. He's been everywhere advocating for better sleep practices because we are an unrested people. And in the hundreds of studies that he's either, uh, that he's overseen, one of the major like sweeping claims that he's made is the shorter your sleep, the shorter your life. It's, it's just how important sleep is. And so I have this quote from him. He wrote, think of the ideal bedroom as a prehistoric cave somewhere in the great North. Cool, dark, and gadget free. Yeah, you heard it, gadget free. Gadget free. Charge your phone in another room. Get rid of electronics that cause noise. Ditch the alarm clock, which can make you hyper aware of every passing minute. You know, it's so interesting is our relationship with our phones. For some of you, at the end of the night, is literally killing you. I can say that scientifically. It's destroying your sleep. It's destroying relationships. But we got to pivot now. We're going to pivot from phones. Okay, we talked about that. What about video games? Now, I grew up on N64, okay? I still own it 25 plus years later. I still got it. It's in the basement. Uh, it only gets black and white on the screen when we plug it in. It doesn't go color anymore, but it still works. And as we get into video, let me just say, like, child of the 90s, favorite games, Ocarina of Time. Some of you might be able to remember. You can throw up that next picture. Some of you remember this. Spent a lot of time, loved my N64. Favorite game through college, I'd have six, eight guys pile in my room in college and we would play Super Smash Brothers. There's some positives to video games. There's some positives. Community, it's community building. You get people together, right? They're doing something together. Yeah, other people might do things like, you know, walk or like look each other in the eye and talk to each other, but you can get together and play video games and it can be like a fellowship experience. I get it. For other people, it might be like a de-stressor at the end of the day. And I appreciate what Pastor Gary said last week about for him how food had kind of become a de-stressor at the end of the day and how a few days a week he may still eat a a snack at the end of the day, but not before going to God and his wife about what he's been going through. I think for video games, for some of us, it's similar. It shouldn't become the idol that replaces God. But there's some cons. This is mostly for guys. Some, some for girls, mostly for guys. I would say, men, for a lot of you, God has planted and designed a deep yearning to conquer, to overcome evil, to do battle, and to come out victorious. And he designed you with that so that you would live that out in the real world. So that you would leave the world a better place than you found it. And for some people, the enemy, however many thousands, tens of thousands plus, the enemy has given them video games so that that energy God has placed within you to go out and to beat evil down with good, that instead you can spend hours in a cave by yourself letting that energy flow into a world that doesn't exist. 
if that's how you relate to video games, that's probably sinful. I'm not saying you can't play video games. I'm saying that is a distortion. Remember the question being, is it beneficial? Or is it a waste of time? Is it beneficial? Or does it make you neglect things that value, neglect things that are better or that are more important? At the end, just follow me of a 14, 15 hour day. You've been up 14, 15 hours. And let's just imagine you've ignored God all day. And you get home and it's the end of the day and you think, I'm gonna watch that movie. I'm gonna watch my team play. I'm gonna get on Instagram. Now, imagine with me a scene in which a dad gets home from work, ignores his kids all day, all night, so that he can play video games. You'd probably agree with me, that's a terrible father, definitely not love, you'd probably call it sin. What do you call it when an adult ignores God all day, gets home, and instead of engaging with God, chooses to seek self-indulgence instead? It's probably sin. That's not a good relationship. And I threw sports in there too, by the way. You and me were designed, first and foremost, to be spiritually nourished. That's our first need. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes that clear. That the water he offers, the spiritual water, is far more important than the physical water. We need to be spiritually nourished. And then, physical nourishment, that's important. We talked about that last week. And then, relationships, that's important. Even though a lot of you avoid them, that's important. And then all the way, down here... All the way over here, this is video games and sports. Over here, Instagram and TikTok is outside. <laughs> That's the priority. That's the actual priority. And if your world is physical and entertainment, okay, I need food mostly sensual and pleasurable. I need food and I need my entertainment. And then over here, some relationships, but God is over there. Then this is sinful. Your relationship with entertainment is sinful. You got to go the Holy Spirit. It's not that the entertainment itself is bad. You've gotten your priorities out of whack. And some of you at the end of the day, when you really wanna watch your team play, which by the way, I get it. Some of you have a team playing today, you've already been to church, so you're good, okay? But you get home the end of Monday night, Thursday night, you really wanna watch your team play and you realize, I've spent zero time with God. You probably need to go in the bedroom for a half hour and fix that before you go and delight in something else. Let's be real. All right. One more question I want to ask. We'll wrap up. First, I'm going to read two more passages. Really quick. One more question. I perceived Ecclesiastes 3. I'm a little out of breath. Jeremy told me, give me a hard time for working out. Not enough. 
I perceive there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Man, God wants you to enjoy things. God wants you to enjoy his gifts. Ephesians 5, which comes at the end of the passage we read earlier, 520 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord. I've given you a few kind of litmus tests, right? Like is, I mean, is it wicked? Is it worthless? Is it beneficial? Is it pulling me away? Even if it's morally neutral, pulling me away from more important things. Here's my final question I'd like you to ask of the kinds of ways and things that you delight in. Can you thank God for it? When you're watching that movie, that show, when you're reading that book, when you're going through the news, when you're on TikTok, could you stop and pause at any given moment and say, God, thank you for this? Because all good things are from God. And if it's not a good thing, why are you delighting in it? So go to the Holy Spirit, church. Again, vague in some places, specific in others. My hope and prayer for you today is that, again, you're only as uncomfortable as I am, but that you walk out of here and that for many of you, there is a show, a book, a movie, an app that you weed out of your life. Not because you want to, but because you know you should. But here's the deal. When you do that two years from now, you look back, it won't be attractive anymore. It just won't because of the way that God transforms our delights and our affections. God doesn't want you to delight less. He actually has more in store for you than I think you could probably imagine. You're just so numb and desensitized to it because of where your attention's been up till now. And so go to him for that clarity and go to each other for support in the process. Pray with me. Lord, I do pray for conviction and challenge to lead to action and change. I pray that your words don't stay on the page, but they find their way into homes, into conversations, into parenting, into discipleship, into friendships, into marriages, into workplaces. God, we ask, Lord, that you would give us discernment on what this looks like for us. You are good and you are faithful, and we know you have wonderful things in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen.